Hello and welcome to PodSpot, the UK's only HubSpot-themed podcast. A regular look at the latest updates from HubSpot and practical hints and tips directly from the mouths of HubSpot users and partners. And today, directly from HubSpot. Um, So today we're talking about uh, user onboarding, setup, security, data management. Um, Hopefully be touching on some of the challenges that businesses face, some of the best practice, HubSpot tools available to you, some of the common mistakes maybe to avoid, but ultimately um, helping you guys to effectively manage your information security. Joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome Siobhan Brady, who is a senior customer onboarding specialist with HubSpot. Hey Siobhan, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, senior customer onboarding specialist. Just mouthful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give us an idea of what that means. Yes. So, um, senior customer onboarding specialist. So, I am certified uh, to onboard professional starter and enterprise suite customers. Um, so, I've been just as a bit of background. I actually started in sales in HubSpot before I moved to services, um, and I've been in HubSpot now for just over three and a half years, which was very quickly um but yeah so I onboard all types of customers in every industry and um when they come into our team we are guided so we don't actually implement and do which would be different to a partner we strategically guide and enable the customer to understand the value of what they've purchased and how they take their current process and efficiently pop it into the system themselves with our guidance and obviously technical support so that at the end of onboarding as I say in my talk track my job is that you don't need me anymore and once that's happened we are successful and you can go off and start rolling multiple campaigns or different sales processes out in the system understanding the value and strategy behind what you've purchased and that at the end of the day is what gets people ROI. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, uh, we talk to people all the time, and it's about maximizing the ROI on that that, that purchase. Right? Always. And, uh, yeah, that 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 often is about getting HubSpot to the point where it fits your business rather than the other way around, right? I guess, and and that 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 kind of part part of what we're focusing on today. I mean, we've we've done previous um, podcasts on different areas of onboarding, but I think this is an area which is is uh, certainly we're getting asked more and more about, and I think mm-hmm. as HubSpot go up market to enterprise level customers and certainly our background with a lot of financial services businesses regulated environments uh this stuff is getting really really important so with regards to kind of onboarding then with that background what what do you see as just the kind of top level general challenges with regards to kind of user management uh in 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 scaling businesses great question so there's a few key things from the enterprise customers that i have that come up quite regularly um one that i will say till the end of time and it's a project i do internally with an hubspot at the moment as well is alignment Um, And alignment is a key one for scaling businesses when they're having user management queries and questions. And that's alignment around a few different areas. So that is access, that is alignment between super admins and different hubs, because we have to remember that if it's a scaling business, they may have more than one hub. And with each hub, they may have a super administrator and that administrator has access to grant certain permissions for teams. And that's something that needs to be reviewed in terms of interdepartmental alignment, as well as department alignment in itself. The other thing that I see that's kind of, it's a a growing pain for scaling businesses is change for the user. So depending on whether they come into onboarding and they have had um, a different portal in the past, say they've been on Pipedrive or Salesforce or something else, and they're moving to HubSpot, outside of actually setting up the system with us and actually getting the, the teams and user permissions correct, which is the first thing we'll look at in onboarding, 
there's also understanding the change for the user behind the point of contact and onboarding and what that looks like for them and how they will need to manage their systems, their data, what tools they need to access and how that's going to look. And there's a lot of strategy that needs to be done in the internal team on that, as well as adaption for that user on using the system thereafter. There's quite a bit there on, um, yeah, certainly the work we do on kind of that strategy piece outside of HubSpot before mm. you get to HubSpot, right? Because, Huge. you know, I think you've probably seen more than we have even, but, you know, people who dive straight in there and start to kind of use all the tools, start trying to get set up, it very quickly becomes difficult. Yes, and more difficult than it needs to be nine times out of 10. And I think I, I'm a devil. I, not that I recommend taking notes outside of the system, um, <laughs> but <laughs> pen and paper. I literally sit with my customers, Ian, and I'm like this, map it <laughs> out on a page. And like, no matter whether it's hierarchical teams or it's a workflow or it's a report, sitting in that tool and trying to build that on the fly is horrendous. It, there is so many options and so many variables. Whereas if you get a whiteboard or you map it out, bringing the team on board with that conversation not only helps get correct user management and good implementation, but it also brings them with you on the journey so that at the end of an onboarding, you're not saying, hello, sales team. So this is HubSpot. And they're like, what? <laughs> and that's that friction point for scaling teams, which is that change management piece. Mm. And it's something we focus a lot on internally in HubSpot and something that we vocalize a lot to our points of contact when they're going through onboarding because they're focused on tool specific, which, yes, that is right. But you also have to bring a team with you. And if the company is scaling, it could be 10 now and 40 at the end of the year. Mm. How do we scale that to 40 people and get them to buy in so they see value? Yeah. And and, and specifically then in relation to user management, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a an incredible challenge, I think, to understand. Well, firstly, to get the right bodies on the client side, right? You know, people who actually understand CRM, understand the system, kind of internal champions, and then how to kind of structure teams around them to make sure that people are getting the information they need, only the information they need. You've got data security. So what, what to you, what does kind of good look like in relation to user management? Great question. Broad question, but I think that there's so many different areas that you can go with that. And the first thing that I would say when you kind of look at a company, say we're on our first onboarding call and I'm in our projects tool and we're talking about users and teams and permissions, what good looks like first and foremost is back to that pen and paper. What does your hierarchical, what does your team structure look like at the moment? And whether you're enterprise or professional, hierarchical teams or basic teams, the principle is still the same. Who are they? What do they need to see? What roles should they have when you create that in the system? And what alignment do they need to have between departments? Because as you correctly said, before we jump in and start clicking things, which is great, it's a good way to learn, but it's not always the right way to build the system. Sitting down with, say, for example, we have a marketing sales and service enterprise customer, which I got assigned yesterday. The first thing that I'll sit and say to them is, who are in your teams? How many users do we have? What do they need to access based on roles? You could have a marketing team, but someone's digital, someone's content creation, someone is marketing email, and they have specific sectors that they work with that don't link together. And that's where the likes of partitioning comes in and where you can create a marketing team. And within that marketing team, you can have different levels of teams. And it's important to know before you even know what the tool is or what the terminology looks like, what is your internal structure? And that's what determines setup. And you can always jump on a call and say, right, well, this is what I'm doing. And a lot of times the customer will do a lovely little um, 
PowerPoint, which I love. Um, and we can actually see and I go, OK, right. So based on this structure, this is how this could potentially be implemented into the system using the software and the tools that you have. Without the structure, you can go in and create teams, which is great. But one of the key issues that I see is that they will go in because they want to get it done quick. To be fair, everyone has their own full time job and they just want to press buttons and get people in there to see value quicker. But they will set, go in and set the default, default user permissions. And unfortunately, for a lot of people, that's not what they should be touching or seeing. And that evolves into data security, information security. And if we assign more than one super admin, that is a good thing. You should have at least two in there just in case one leaves. But also, they automatically have access to export data. That's a huge yeah. breach. And a lot of people don't realize the power behind the buttons. And that's where onboarding mm -hmm. comes in to understand who should have this permission. And if they have it, that they understand how to use it correctly. Yeah. And part of that's around absolutely information and data security, right? Mm -hmm. but, but part of it is just about getting those guys working more efficiently. So, you know, giving them the view they need to do their job and no more, no less, particularly in our experience with salespeople, yes. right? Who just need the information they need. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give them access to things that they shouldn't be changing. No, or viewing. Because we have to also understand that coming from someone who worked in HubSpot sales for a year and a half, it's a competitive environment. And in that competitive environment, people are very precious, as they should be, about their content, their data, their contacts that they've either grown or recruited or found from somewhere that's been assigned to them. And a lot of people get commissioned. There's certain percentages that are divvied out. And it needs to be fair. And that is where team permissions and um, owned only, team only, or edit only come into play very, very importantly in sales more so than any other hub because you don't want them turning against the system, to put it very mildly, because the system isn't built correctly for them. And that is why that thought process at the start is so important. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're, I mean, we're working with a number of clients at the moment, but certainly a number with different geographic kind of territories as well where that becomes mm. really important i think you know one, one client i'm thinking of operating 60 different territories got teams on the ground in 32 wow. territories so you know i think this kind of structuring becomes really really important across that type of business right absolutely and then to transition from the user management side once that structure is built you have the likes of lead rotation and workflows and all these other amazing tools to then rotate geographically and lead specific based on say a form submission they all and this is what i tell my customers everything at hubspot ties into each other it knits and it creates one full picture. It's not just singular pieces of a puzzle. It, it builds the picture. And I think that's what onboarding does for the prospect or the client at that point is it shows them how to build that picture for themselves. I had a kickoff call yesterday where I said the customer was like, oh, my God, this is a lot of work. Fair. It is. However, what you build now, and this is something I tell all my customers, what you build today is not what you're going to have in six months. And that's not bad. That's correct. Because the foundations you build in onboarding are only foundations. The blocks you build on top of that is going to be refining your process. You've bought HubSpot because you want to scale and grow. We're designed to help you scale and grow into new tools. It doesn't mean lead scoring is not going to be valuable. It's just not valuable right now. That's okay. Know the value and yeah. use it when you need it. Um, and that's the yeah, beauty yeah. of onboarding. We, we talk everything yeah. and then we specify on what needs to be done, like user management. That's not a nice to have. That's a need to have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting that it was something that you said a minute ago, actually, that, um, 
you know, automation, I think, is often seen as a nice to have, right? That's a kind of wish list. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if a league comes in and it automatically rotates to the right geographical territory or the right, mm-hmm. um, you know, salesperson or whatever it might be. But actually, uh, automation could be a fundamental part of information and data security. 100%. Um, in many different areas, not only lead rotation for teams, but also admin. So if you're looking at Sales Hub specifically, your workflows are going to start updating data on specific actions and you can use them to be smart to lift. So say a lead comes in, you can automatically assign that to someone, then you can update property based on information that's come in. That's also data security, because if it's a case that that lead comes in and it should be rotated to a team in Singapore, to a specific person who's got an area of, say, they're specific to sales, not services, the workflow will do that for you. And that is also protecting that person from their data being going to multiple different people, which ties us back to user permissions and looking at the likes Mm -hmm. of team only, owned only, or everyone. A lot of customers will come in and go, Usher, everyone, it's the easiest. Yes, it is, because you don't have to click buttons. However, it's the path of of least resistance, isn't it? Rather than actually sitting down and contributing some time to, to think sensibly about how you structure things right yeah not only for how it's segmented and used internally within a team but also how that information sits within your portal because it is someone else's data and that's a very important part of understanding outside of gdpr what we do with that data and how it's managed um and user permissions are the start of that journey tool usage is the middle and the end is hopefully success where we delight but like it really does start in that process and work its way through Okay, so just um, thinking about this from a, a slightly different angle from the conversations that you have, who who typically is mm-hmm. responsible for um, kind of decisions around user management team structure? Does that need to come from leadership or does that come from marketing teams and, and sales teams individually? Or what in your experience, how does that kind of typically play out? Great question. So nine times out of 10, when we get to an onboarding, Leadership purchase, but they don't, they're not on the calls. (laughs) They're the ones who want reporting that looks really pretty and they just get an email to them every two weeks and they're busy doing leading things, which is absolutely fine. That's what it's designed for. The people who actually decide on the structure are marketing managers or senior marketing executives, people who are in there and actually are building the team. Now, they might not be the person who gets sign off on it, but they are the person who will sit down with me and talk about that and loop in if they need to, their VP to get that sign off at the end of the day, but their VP is not going to be the one building that hierarchy on a PowerPoint. (laughs) That's not going to be the case. And nine times out of 10, it's those people who are a little bit up from from the ground, but not too high up, not to see what's happening on the floor. Mm. They're the ones who are best designed to build these structures because they not only understand who they have to report up to and what that hierarchy needs to look like, but they also understand who's on the ground and what they need to see and what they need to do. If we go too far removed from the ground, you can't actually know what needs to be owned only, team only, or viewed only. And that's a very powerful piece of information to build out that structure. Yeah. And I think a large part of presumably what you do and certainly what we do is is kind of, as you say, taking that 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 kind of information or, or, or skill in extracting that information from those people outside of HubSpot and kind of translating it back into HubSpot, right? Because it's easier for someone to say, well, this person does this on a day-to-day basis or this person does this. What that actually means in HubSpot, they don't necessarily know. And that is, I call my coined terminology of onboarding is the glue. 
so we are the glue that makes the dream real. (laughs) So the dream comes from the sales team. And then we literally on our kickoff call say, what does your current process look like? What is that from if it's sales, for example, key questions are, who do we have on the team? What is their roles? What do they need to do? And then from lead creation and the different areas you get it to closed one, tell me every element of that process from start to finish. Marketing, emails, everything, all of what that looks like. And they will just start throwing things out there. And in my head, I'm going, substitute this, pop this in. We can do this. We can do that. My job is to then make that make sense to them. So one of the key things that we do in onboarding, um, I call it a day in the life of your sales process, but it works so well. Hand the permission over to the customer and let them open the screen. Dummy lead in the contacts record. And I say, right, you're the sales rep. What do you need to see? What permissions do you need access to? What properties on the left-hand side are relevant and what are not? What properties should you be able to edit and what properties should you not? And they're like, oh, I have that choice. That's far more powerful than here's 20 knowledge-based articles, go for your life. It really, really is. When they're in it and they're actually sitting in the hot seat of the person they're designing this for and they understand then the opportunities. All onboarding does very well. I won't say all, but a predominant part of it is, is good question asking and showing options. So then they go, oh, well, they need to see lead stats and life cycle stage. They do not need to see if they've opted into something. This is a sales view. Right, well, let's go and edit that. That's your topic of project one, task number two. Yes. We pivot to the projects tool in HubSpot after we show value. And that is in every aspect. In the contacts dashboard for user management, how do you want to see your teams? Do you want a team-only view? If you do, what does that look like? What should they see? Let's build those filters. Oh, I can do that. Absolutely. Should let the rep go in and then they just have a to-do list. Here's all of their lead statuses of new, owned by their team, assigned to Siobhan. Go for it. Then they understand value. Then they go and set it up. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to get adoption. Pain, problem, challenge, value. And that's in every tool. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of leads on to, to my, my next question, really, which was around, um, and we, we kind of touched on it already, but whether uh, kind of effective user management benefits productivity. I think we both know the answer is that yes. it does, right? But, but it'd Massively. be interesting to see from your side, you know, some of those kind of use cases, I guess, where, where that's really helped a business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the scaling up businesses in terms of effective user management, I see this most prominently in growth stack customers. So what we mean by the term growth stack is that they've purchased more than one hub. Um, and specifically in the likes of sales, as we've already kind of touched on there, where they're like, oh, I'm going to spend 20 minutes scrolling through everyone else's leads to see what's juicy. That's going to waste time. But like if we look at it in a more strategic structure in the marketing side, I have seen so much bang for your buck in terms of content partitioning and teams because depending on the marketing structure of the the customer it can be something as small as three people where this isn't overly relevant or it could be 10 people where it is absolutely relevant because you don't want to have everyone jumping in and going oh I don't know if I like that font I'll change it that can have ripple effects down the line and then you're spending time and this is where people overlook the efficiency of time when things happen that shouldn't happen because partitioning and content and, uh, and teams aren't assigned properly, how long does it take to fix that? 
And this yeah. is what I position on an onboarding call. Unpicking, unpicking bad decisions is uh, <laughs> seems to be a large part of what we do. It really is, but it's also a large part of what the point of contact does, even before they moved into the system. If you can position value of actually giving everyone their own swim lanes that they work in, and then they at mention you on an asset in the comment mode and ask you for your opinion, but they only see their own swim lanes, that is going to prevent not only the waste of time by getting distracted, that's the first problem, but the secondary problem to that that people don't see is actually how to fix what happened that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Time wasted, labor costs that businesses don't have, it's unnecessary and it can be prevented. And a lot of people don't see the actual financial waste behind that. And it is a revenue cost. People aren't free. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as as, as the kind of balance between locking down kind of processes, permissions, views versus uh, kind of allowing a degree of flexibility and development? And as you said earlier, you know, the things that you put in place today aren't going to be what you need in three, six months time. How do you allow that kind of flexibility, that HubSpot? really offers whilst kind of maintaining control and and locking down processes and getting consistency? Oh, that is a very good question. (laughs) So I would say to caveat, it depends on obviously the business size, their goals, and if they're very enterprise and everyone does have specific swim lanes, then their growth is going to be departmental based and role based. It's not going to be something where I'm say marketing executive I'm also marketing manager and I'm doing absolutely everything that's where growth is really going to come in so I caveat that to higher level enterprise do need growth but it's far more controlled because they're so big whereas if you have and they're my favorite customers no harm to the enterprise people they very much know what they're doing but when I get a uh, say a small biz mid-market deal and they're a professional customer and they have a marketing team it's probably two to three people HubSpot's impact for them is huge and that's where teams and permissions need to be a little more relaxed because that person is doing social they're doing marketing email they're sending out resources they're doing all of the different bits they are 10 people and in that you need to have relaxed permissions But that 10 people or that three people will grow to 10 people. And that's where you can shrink HubSpot, which is the nice part. And you can turn things on and off. It doesn't always have to be a set way. So I think that based on the business size and the segment, it needs to be more relaxed and more flexible. So just um, one area I kind of want to touch on before we, we, we start to wrap up. Uh, and it's partly just selfishly, Siobhan, because we do a lot of work with financial services and regulated environments. In your mind, how 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 nicely does HubSpot play in those kind of situations where data security, information security isn't just best practice for an enterprise level business, but it, it, it is actually fundamental to their, their business? Yeah, I think quite well. Um, And the reason why I would say this is a good chunk of our services are based in financial areas. A lot of what we do, a lot of our business is in these areas. Um, Also, SaaS platforms that work in those markets are also a lot of our business as well. I think that we have a lot of elements that help companies like that have reassurance that their data is secure and safe. Now, we have... um, for anyone listening, if you want to and you have the time, we have a very long security policy online. It is, you've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. I've read it. Oh, yeah. so have I. <laughs> Going through it for specific lines for IT teams. Now, we do send that off to the IT team so they have it. Um, and we have put a lot of work and a lot of effort into 
extra levels of security so data is safe. We also have our EU hub, which is so exciting now. So we store data in the EU now as well. And we have companies actively transitioning onto that hub as we speak. I have one in onboarding at the moment. Um, And this is all to make data more secure and to have it within the parameters of what their IT and their security teams need to see to have those boxes ticked. There's also different elements within the system that I'm a huge fan of. Two-factor authentication is now mandatory as of September of this year for pro and above hubs for that reason so that we can remove bad actors and keep data as safe as physically possible. There are so many different elements to how HubSpot keeps information secure because it's obviously in our interest as a business, but also we want to look after our customers and our customers are their customers and that's their data. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, um, and again, it's, it's, it, because it's an area we do quite a bit of work in, um, integrations with HubSpot, mm. which you know are incredibly useful for, for businesses with complicated tech stacks, with proprietary systems, um, where we're trying to create uh, one source of truth with HubSpot and expand yeah. its capability at the edges. Similar kind of question there, I guess, really. How do you maintain information data security when you're doing that type of work? So what we have done quite recently, and I wouldn't be an expert in all of the details. My colleague in solutions engineering definitely would be. She could be your next person. Mm. (laughs) She really could. She's a wizard. Um, But what we've done there was we have added the API. So the API used to be an open happy key. And that happy key would allow people to go in, take that code, and literally parse data back and forth. But as they've kindly said inside HubSpot, that's like giving people the keys to your front door and saying, rob my house. And that is the example that we give internally when we're teaching people about why we've moved the happy key onto third-party applications so that people have to log in, use 2FA, and then get the information and agree to it. Like when you're going to delete a contacts list in HubSpot and it says type one, two, three, before you press the button, it's an extra level of security to make sure that even the people who get the keys to your front door are the right people who should be in there. So that's another extra layer of security that we've added this year so that that happy key can't just get randomly shared and someone's in there with full access to all information. That's been fully removed now as well. So there's a lot of different steps to make sure that the house is secure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so just finally then, I I guess really, just some sort of practical um, advice for people, I guess, who are listening to this and kind of want to go away and actually you know, start to look at or implement some of this stuff. Who typically do you see as, as, as in the business being kind of accountable for this stuff? How do people manage new starters, people who leave? Mm-hmm. You know, do, do they need people internally who are kind of CRM experts or have you seen kind of other uh, other ways of working that to make sure it's kind of kept up to date, yeah, I guess? I have seen everybody you can think of. <laughs> so <laughs> some, some businesses have CRM experts. They have mm-hmm. a CRM admin. Nine times out of 10, they've probably come from Salesforce. They had an admin in Salesforce and that person inherits HubSpot and they're like, this is simple to use. I'm away here. And they just mm-hmm. love it because it is easy to use. And they are responsible for all of this. Other businesses I've seen have uh, a sales admin who's responsible for updating data and they take the responsibility for this. But in my own, I would say, professional opinion, I would say that the person who should be responsible for new users and removing users should be the person who's responsible for building that process. So a senior manager or a senior executive, someone who's in charge of the department, because a quote I was given a long time ago when I used to work in Australia is you can't be on and in a department. Because it's very hard to manage the floor and see above the floor. And I used to work as a restaurant manager back in the day. And it is a true fact, no matter what business acumen and what industry you're looking at. 
if you are over the department, you have an oversight of who needs to come in, who is leaving. For example, if I leave HubSpot in the morning as an employee of a company and they delete me and they remove me straight away, have I changed templates, documents and snippets to viewable to anyone so they can be reused? Has anyone thought to ask that question? Probably not, so they can't be accessed. Another example, if I am removed, has anyone used a workflow to bulk assign all of those contacts to someone else so they can continually be worked? Have we seen the foresight for that? A super admin should have that responsibility and with that responsibility should come a senior title because they then have the ability to go, does Siobhan need to be removed or is Siobhan, for example, going on mat leave or an extended annual leave where she should be deactivated instead so that when I turn it back on, when she comes back, everything is there, including historical data and information. There's a lot of different elements that need to be considered. Another small one, a workflow. If I'm in a workflow and they remove me, the workflow will have an error and it won't work correctly. That needs to be seen. So how intricately am I built into the HubSpot orchestra system? And if I am and I'm going to be taken out, what needs to be done to remove me successfully without friction for all other processes that are built? Because everything is interlinked. Someone who's on the ground in the team may not have that foresight. And that's why I think senior leadership who build it understand how hard I'm woven into it and know how yeah. to remove me correctly. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's a fairly obvious thing to say, but, you know, I think there's an appetite certainly from HubSpot side at the moment to, to support businesses in that way. There's certainly yeah. an appetite from the partner community to, to support um, clients in that way. So there is kind of, there's a lot of options out there for people who are running HubSpot, who are in scaling, growing businesses um, to make sure that this stuff works. But hopefully, you know, today uh, has been useful for people in terms of, you know, building some confidence that these issues are being taken very seriously. There's the tools within HubSpot to, to manage things effectively, to manage your data and, and information security appropriately. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to PodSpot, the UK's only HubSpot-themed podcast this week with Siobhan Brady, Senior Customer Onboarding Specialist with HubSpot. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends, colleagues, uh, tag us on socials and leave us a review. If this has been your first episode that you've listened to, I think there is now 39 other episodes for you to get your teeth into on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.